Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Literati Cast. I'm Jennifer Lawfren, and I'm a senior agent at the Andrea Brown Literary Agency, where I rep kids' books and YA. In the last episode, I spoke a little bit about the LA conference. I gave a talk there about maximizing your book's success. Basically, there are so many things about the process of publishing that are outside of your control as an author, but there are some items that are within your control. I'll be talking more about some of them later, as my guest today is a book publicist. But before she joins us, I wanted to give a word about websites. Lots of others ask me if they really need a website, at what point they should get a website, what it should contain. So here's my opinion. My opinion is <laughs> you need a website. Even if you're an aspiring author, you don't have a book deal or anything else, you should have something simple, clean, straightforward. So when you do have something to put on there, it will be established already. You won't have to do that hustle to put something up and you'll already own the domain name that you want. This domain name should be probably your name or something similar to your name, your name author, something like that, and not the name of your book because book titles do change. So you can have a book-oriented website later in the game, but right now this is essentially a business card for you. Think of it like that. Now, let's say you have that, you get an agent. Now you will add your agent's contact info to that nice little clean website. And then later, hopefully, you get a book deal. So now I want to see all that before, <laughs> contact info, agent info, your little bio. Plus, I expect to see a pre-order page as soon as it's available. This should have the book jacket, the book description, the ISBN, publisher info, links to buy the book, and anything else relevant. That's blurbs, review quotes. And that should appear as soon as the book is available for pre-order, which is usually a few months prior to its actual release. Now, once the book is actually out, obviously it isn't a pre-order page anymore. Then that becomes a My Books page, which you can add to as you get more books. And now you can also add info about school visits, Skype visits. It's probably not worth stressing about those until you actually have a book to push. But once you do, if you're at all interested and good at speaking in public, you should definitely be open to doing school visits because those can make a massive impact on sales and goodwill and general word of mouth about your book. Now, for an illustrator, all of the above plus a clean portfolio with beautiful images that I can link to directly. Now, I myself like to see kids, animals, color, black and white, lots of movement. And talking about what's in a portfolio could be a whole hour by itself. But the long and the short of it is, I need to be able to see the images clearly. They should not be fuzzy or small. If you want to get hired to draw things like adorable babies or, you know, tigers or something like that, but you don't have any adorable baby tiger images on your website, that's a problem. Because if all of your um, images on your website are horror oriented or something, how will people know to hire you for adorable babies? So have a diverse number of things in your portfolio I mean, obviously, things that you actually want to draw, not things that you're terrible at. You should also know who at your publisher is responsible for different activities, like who is your publicist, who is the distributor. That way, you can give accurate information when people ask for it. And 
This is like the number one thing that I wish people had on their websites when they are authors, professional published authors, a press kit. So what is that, you ask? A press kit on your website is a one-stop shop. It is a page where you will have a high-res author photo, high-res images of your book jackets, descriptions and pull quotes for each of your published books, plus a brief biography. That way, whenever you're doing an event, an interview, a podcast, a school visit, or anything else, you can direct people straight to that page so they can nab the image or the info they need for their publicity. Gwenda Bond, my author, has a great press kit on her website, and lots of authors do have this, but so many authors don't. And I can tell you, I used to book events for stores, and it was extremely painful to have to chase all this information and all these images down in a variety of places. Make their lives easier. You want to make it as easy as you can for people to talk about your book and spread the good news about your book. It's very helpful when all of that information is in one place. So more tips. I have a lot more to say about (laughs) things that others can do, but I thought that it would be really great if I could bring a publicist on to help me talk about this. So today, I have the extreme pleasure of welcoming Cerecia Fennell. Cerecia has been a publicist at Scholastic and Little Brown Books for Young Readers. She's a member of POC in Pub and Latinx in Pub. She blogs for Nerdophiles. She's the co-host of a Different World podcast. And she's just an all-around do-everything go-getter who knows a lot about publicity for children's books. So let me see if I can get Cerecia on the line. Hi, Cerecia. Hello. So I'm going to dive right in because I know that there's so many questions I have for you, and I want this to be not a crazy length. First of all, you're a publicist, and in Authorland, there's a lot of confusion about what a publicist is, particularly around the difference between publicity and marketing. So my quickie definition, which is, it's probably reductive, but I say that marketing focuses on getting the word out to booksellers, bookstores, libraries, putting the book in the catalog, making sure the sales team knows all the selling points, distributing arcs, talking the book up at librarian conferences, creating materials to show off the book like dumps or displays. But publicity focuses more on getting media hits, both online traditional media, and that reaches real-world readers. So do you think that that's accurate, or what is a publicist, really, and how do publicity and marketing differ? I would 100% agree with that. The only thing I would probably add is marketing definitely has, like, funds. (laughs) So, like, all of those advertising things that you see, like, in, you know, Publishers Weekly or Children's Bookshelves, like, those flashing ads and things like that, that's all marketing. Like, publicity doesn't really have any money to put towards marketing or anything like that. Normally, the money is going to tour the author and to, like, confirm events and, and book travel and things like that. So we don't really have a budget to do advertising stuff. So I usually try and explain that to authors and illustrators because a lot of the time they don't know that, you know, like marketing handles, that type of stuff. I think some people just assume like, oh, you're my publicity person, so you do everything, which can be a little bit confusing. But definitely agree with you that a publicist 
is, you know, our, our main focus is media. And then the other side of that is events and, you know, getting the word out with like bloggers and booking interviews and things like that. So gotcha. I would definitely agree with you. So a lot of what you do is invisible to the author. So even though it's happening, it's happening behind the scenes. Pretty much, yeah. So sometimes <laughs> authors are like, uh, I'm not getting any in-house support because they can't see it. Right. So that means how does an author actually know if their publicist is doing anything? That's See, that's one of the hard parts because it's like you have to trust that your publicist is doing the work, which nine times out of ten they are. Um, there are a few people who probably are, you know, slacking in some areas. But I think that, you know, the publicity really starts right when the book is basically, as soon as it's acquired and, like, has been added to a list. So once it's, like, confirmed, like, this is coming out in spring 2018, like, within that 10-month, you know, 9 to 10-month, your publicist is already brainstorming and putting together a media list and already reading the work to see, like, what types of places can I pitch this to? Are there any themes in the book that would fit, you know, for niche publication? So we're already doing the work from, like, once it's acquired. And I think a, a lot of times they don't realize that. They just think, oh, like, nothing is going to happen until my book is published. But most right. of everything we're doing is really from when the book is acquired to talking about the book and pitch meetings with, like, long lead magazines. So you know, like Teen Vogue and Justine Magazine and things like that. So we have all of these meetings with media outlets that we're meeting with and talking about the book way before the book is even like coming out, you know. So a publicist is like working on it, your project for about a year almost. Mm, wow. Yeah. So by the time it comes out for publication, you know, we're hoping that all of those the media that we've been talking to and pitching the author to or the illustrator to, that those things hit closer to publication. But really, we're doing all of the grunt work, like sometimes, you know, a year in advance, nine months, eight months. Wow. We're, we're doing it from there. That's amazing. Like, I didn't even really realize how big a lead time. I mean, from a bookseller's point of view, I know that I need to start thinking about things, events and whatnot, you know, a few months ahead of time, right? maybe six months ahead of time. But I didn't realize that some publications have such a long lead time. Yeah, yeah. There are some publications that's, oh, we only like, you know, publish two times a year and things like that. So it's like, you really have to make sure that you're pitching them really early on. And then if, you know, if your title is a lead title or you feel like your your book has a special theme in it or it's connected to a holiday or something like that, you definitely want to put it on the publication's radar really early on because um, if it's a lead title, you want to make sure it's getting that exposure and that buzz for all of the marketing, you know, money that's going to be put behind it. You also want to make sure the publicity is also there. I imagine that sometimes there's a sales rep or the editor or whoever falls in love with a book and can make everyone read it and sh kind of like build that buzz in-house. Right. So that's, I mean, but how you can't control that. You can't control that. But like my favorite thing about being a publicist is I am your in-house like advocate. If I'm working on that book, like I want everyone to love it. So really you know, from the publicist that's assigned to the book and the marketer and the book designer, like th those people are all, you know, rooting for the book to succeed in-house. And we're like, hey, have you read this book? Like we're even buzzing about it in-house, trying to get morale up, you know, speaking to other editors about it, 
other, you know, marketing people who are not working on the title. So it's just like even in-house when there's a huge buzz, sometimes that can even like, oh, this book wasn't a lead, but like everyone in-house fell in love with it. The sales team fell in love with it. Maybe we should reevaluate our plan. So sometimes that happens. How can an author though maximize you? Like, are there things they should be doing to help you? And how much footwork should they be doing for themselves? Yes. So usually this this is like really fun for me. I was actually talking to a few people of color in publishing. We had like a little mixer thing. We were talking about this and a lot of them asked like, well, what are some things you do when you're working with a new client to like help set them up for success? And I said, my favorite is to work with debut authors because a lot of the times they're like, oh, the, you know, this is new to me. I, I don't have any experience at all brand new. I don't have any writer friends. I'm like, that's okay. Here are things that you can do. So I always tell them like, start small with your community. So if you are thinking about writing a book or getting into publishing, or you just signed, you know, your first book deal, this is a major thing that you can do. Build around your community, you know, introduce yourself to that librarian, introduce yourself to your local bookstore, Mm -hmm. introduce yourself, like just immerse yourself in the writing community within your local area. Like that is really, really key and huge because for a publicist, we're gonna definitely be pitching all of your local media. And it helps when you have like people that are like, oh yeah, I met this person. Like they told me they have a book coming out. So like the anticipation is building and those are gatekeepers that you can connect with on a personal level, a really intimate level. And then they become your cheerleaders and they start to they start to talk to other writers that come into the community to do events about you. Like, oh yeah, there's this, you know, new debut author that totally. I met or this new book that's coming out from this author that's local to here and things like that. So really start small, own your community and then your network can only grow from there. So that's one thing I usually tell them. I have like added to that to books from a bookseller's point of view mm-hmm. when you're going to introduce yourself to a bookseller you know they love books you love books so i know people can be really nervous but if you ask them for book advice for like you know what's your favorite book that you're reading and get a recommendation and actually buy the book and read it mm-hmm. and then go back in and talk to them they will be your friend for life exactly exactly so um recently there was a a lot of chatter on twitter and elsewhere and I got a couple of questions and into the Tumblr about authors paying to hire outside publicists Mm -hmm. but like outside publicists are very expensive and the outcomes are never guaranteed is there a time or place or point where they might want to consider going in that direction right so this is a fantastic question and I think that you know Let's be real, it's publishing, and like you said, advances vary, you know. So if you are a full-time author-illustrator, and if you really don't have the funds to hire someone, you have to be smart about how to spend your money. So I always recommend, like, request to see the marketing plan, you know. Mm -hmm. Like I said, the publicist and the marketer, these people are assigned about a year out, and they're already brainstorming and things like that, and you should be able to get your marketing plan. It depends on the house. But some houses, like, if, you know, your book has gone to auction and things like that, like, they already pull together a marketing plan. So mm. you can see from there, like, okay, I already see what's lacking. I see what the publisher is going to offer. Let me be smart about, you know, like, where I can fill in the holes. For other authors, if if your book didn't go to, your, to auction, you have to wait a little bit to get your marketing plan, which is fine. You know, you should have that between, depending on the house, a year out 
to like six months out. And I think once you see that, that's, that's when you can assess and say, you know, like definitely speak to your agent and like comb through and say like, okay, so I see here, you know, marketing um, doesn't really have a plan to like, I don't know, do certain things that they had envisioned for their book, you know, then they can talk about maybe I should hire an outside marketer to like do some ads and things like that to target specific places where I want to make sure my book is being seen. And then if Mm -hmm. you look at the publicity plan and you're like, okay, they're definitely going to pitch media, right? Your book will always be pitched to media. That's like a given. The main thing with publicity, which is really, really hard, is like events and festivals and conventions and things like that where they're like, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm not being toured. So that is a little tricky for for me, at least, because I tell when I have these conversations with authors and illustrators, I ask them, like, do you really want to travel? Do you have the time to travel? You know, if you do, then, you know, maybe you can save your money. You know, maybe you don't want to hire an outside publicist because I will be pitching media. But if you have money saved up, you know, we're not we don't have the funds to tour you. But if you plan and say, like, okay. I am going to be in these areas, you know, you have to be really smart about it. So if you say, um, like, I want to go to ILA, right? You can say, like, I know it's happening this year. I will be in town. You know, can you pitch me to go to these things? So Mm -hmm. I think it just really depends on, like, what the author and illustrator wants to get out of it, right? Right. But if, if the marketing plan and the publicity plan isn't looking to what they want it to be, then I tell them, you know, it really depends on what you want. If it seems like a very robust plan, you're okay with that. And, and then I wouldn't recommend hiring an outside publicist until maybe about two to three months after publication. And the reason mm-hmm. for that is because that's usually when a publicist is like, we're still working on your book, but it's not you know top priority yeah because we've worked on it for about a year already so we have Mm. to focus on the other books that are coming out within the next month or the next week or whatever so it's true our attention does divert a little bit you know we are always looking for opportunities so it's not like we just completely say okay we're done with this project completely that Mm. doesn't happen but about three months after your book has pubbed yeah the publicity is going to slow down a lot you know, right. so I would recommend then hiring an outside publicist, but definitely communicate that to your publicist or to your editor if you're not in, in contact with your publicist directly to let them know because communication is key. You know, yeah. for smaller houses, publicists may have a longer life for working on a book. They might be able to work on it, you know, six months after publication, like and give it that full attention. So but for bigger houses, it's definitely like we won't be able to do that. Right. So you just, I think whatever you're going to do, you definitely should communicate it to your publicist and to your marketer. You know, if you're going to be traveling, let them know that because then we can say, oh, we didn't have any plans to send you to Portland, but you're going to be in Portland. There are some great bookstores in Portland. You know, there's some great media in Portland, Mm -hmm. you know, so there are ways to like get around it. And you also don't want to, I mean, you just don't want to step on their toes and, or reinvent the wheel, you know? Yeah, you definitely don't want to do that. I worked with one person before they hired an outside publicist and they didn't really get a huge return. You know, like nothing was coming in from their outside publicist. A lot Mm -hmm. of it was coming from in-house and it just felt like a bummer because I'm like, oh, well, you paid this person, so I'm not really sure what they're doing for you. So it's, it's really... Again, it's it's really hard, but my suggestion is to definitely see the marketing plan first, talk it over with your agent, and speak about what your goals are. Yeah, I will say, though, that sometimes marketing plans, I mean, there's a lot of stuff on the marketing plan, but it's all kind of like, 
generic or, you know, it doesn't mean much to an author. Like, obviously, pitching to media, you're going to pitch to media, or it will always say, it's in the catalog. And that kind right, of thing. Like, right. Oh, that's so fun bullets. Like, like, um, <laughs> what are the actual bullet points that are exciting? I don't know, but I guess it depends on the project and the author. Right. So, like, you, you're right. You'll have that generic stuff where it's like, oh, pitch to long leap media, pitch to, you know, like, TV, pitch to bloggers and things like that. But what I also tell my authors, like, what are some publications that you read personally where you would want to see your book covered? You mm-hmm. know, are there any contacts in your network that, you know, these people are really big mouths, you know, they're going to be a huge cheerleader for your book that you would like me to send the book to. And of course, I'm like, please try and make these be media contacts or people who are uh, very influential in the industry. So just not your friend, right? Just not right. your friend who's <laughs> going to tell like five people. We, we, want, we want to make sure that we're... Sending um, these these advanced copies to people who are really going to talk about your book, have a nice following and things like that, whether that's on social media or just within their own network. And also indie booksellers so they can, uh, you know, nominate for the indie next list. And Exactly. Okay. So let's switch gears for a second and talk about social media. I feel like authors, obviously they should be the, their authentic self, but also maybe their best selves. So trying to stay focused on positive, be polite to readers and booksellers, don't vent in public. But these are also really trying times for a lot of people. How do you feel when your authors get political (laughs) or start talking about charged subjects on their social media and poke the hornet's nest? Ah, this is a fantastic question. I have worked with a few people who are, you know, very political And just have a conversation with them and just say like, hey, you know, just be aware that you you might get some backlash for this. Um, So you you just really need to understand what you're putting out there, understand that people are going to respond to this um, and that you should, you know, have have a response prepared if this is your authentic self. Right. If you are definitely like this political person and you're going to do this stuff like you need to not blow the gasket and just like curse everyone out but like (laughs) you know like really be your authentic self but also have a response that when you get that backlash you know you're responding in kind you know stand firm but in kind like you don't want to upset anyone and like really do something that's um going to like really screw up your career you don't want that to happen so it's it's really a fine line but again it's like making them aware as as their publicist like i i just want to make sure you know what you're doing and that you are aware that this was offensive or this could be seen as offensive and like all of these things, you know, just listing it out. I will say that most of the time they're like, yes, this is, I know what I'm doing. I am aware. And as long as they're fine with that and they understand that, then there's really, you know, nothing that I can do to stop them from doing it. Right. Because I I can't really control (laughs) what authors and illustrators put out on social media, but I can talk to them and guide them and say like, really think about what you're doing is this really what you want to be known for? Do you really believe in this? And things like that. But then I also need to do the work and, you know, have a response for the publisher, like if if things do come in. So right. it, it really just communicating and making sure that, you know, they feel comfortable doing what they're doing and understanding the backlash and things. And, you know, if it turns out that maybe the publisher has a different point of view, then 
from what the author or the illustrator is portraying, then obviously, you know, we'll talk about that and say, like, I understand that this is these are your views only. But, you know, the publisher feels this way. So if, like, we do get questioned or, or anything like that, we have a statement. So it's just, you know, communicating, letting them know. So um, so I think that that kind of leads to my next question, which, I mean, the reality is publishing has a race problem. And that could be a whole podcast series on its own. And I do... <laughs> It seems like in the past year or two that there's been some strides in diversity, thanks in no small part to the success of We Need Diverse Books campaign. Mm -hmm. And just generally publishers waking up, realizing that books with diverse characters and creators can be really successful and blow up and get huge mm -hmm. if they're given the same attention publicity-wise as other bestsellers, you know, Absolutely. rather than being consigned to a niche. But the problem is not solved just because there's some books on the New York Times bestseller list. So what else can we do to give marginalized authors an equitable playing field? Oh, there are so many things we could do. <laughs> you can start by supporting them, right? And like going mm. out and actually buying their books. Yay! <laughs> Which would be amazing if like everyone did that. But, you know, sometimes even if they do do that, it's just not enough and it doesn't work. I think that really, you know, publishing like the editors, the marketers, the publicists, a lot of them are just not people of color. And when you have a lot of people who are working on a project who aren't able to extend themselves to a different experience, sometimes they won't know how to market or publicize a book or even think about, you know, like, oh, why didn't we reach out to this community and like advertise there? Or why didn't we think to like do an event with, you know, like the Jewish society or the Asian book club or, you know, like there are all of these things that sometimes can fall between the cracks. And that's just mm -hmm. because you're not cultured enough or you haven't experienced enough or it's just out of your experience and you didn't think of it. So I right. think the way the industry could be better about that is just by getting more people of color to work on things and you know don't stop there get get people from the lgbtqia community to like work on things i can't tell you how many times like sensitivity readers are reading these books and things like that about race or all of these all of these different experiences it's like would you really need a sensitivity reader if your staff was more diverse right you know like you wouldn't you wouldn't need, need to hire someone else to do the work for you and that's that's the sad reality that uh, I think there's been like a really huge increase in sensitivity readers. I don't know if you feel the same. Yeah, I heard somebody say recently, and I forgive me because I honestly don't remember who somebody at a conference was calling them accuracy readers. And I think that that's maybe a good way to put it because there are just things, I mean, I know someone who is on Twitter who is Indian American and they were writing a book about a chef's a, a cooking Indian food and they are Indian, mm -hmm. but they're not a chef. Right. <laughs> they still had readers make sure that they weren't messing things up and offending people or like doing something totally bizarre and wrong. So I don't think there's anything wrong with if you are, whether you're white or a person of color or gay or straight or whatever, if you're portraying an experience that you don't know intimately, I think it's probably good to have somebody take a glance at it. 
Because just because oh, something's absolutely. fiction doesn't mean it should be wrong. I agree uh, with you. And that's that's the tricky thing about, you know, hiring a sensitivity reader or an accuracy reader, you know, uh, h- however they would like to label it. I think it, it is smart to do that. But at the same time for, you know, like, oh, no one on your staff is African-American mm-hmm. and, you know. Well, sometimes a problematic book gets through and you're like, how did no one realize on. this? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there really is no science to it, but I think read more, you know, read more, learn more, do better. It's like the more you know, the better you, you will be about things. And so it's like, continue to educate yourself, you know, read widely. And I think if you're an editor, you have to read widely. If you're a bookseller, you're already reading widely, right? Because tons of, (laughs) hopefully, yeah, because tons of consumers come in and they're like, hey, I like fantasy. What can you recommend? Or I'm looking, you know, I know when I go shopping, I'm like, hey, let me know what's like, I give them like a whole shopping list. (laughs) It's Mm. always fun to see like what book, what the bookseller will, will recommend based on like what I like to read or what I'm looking for. So I we're almost out of time. So do you have any particularly standout publicity campaigns that come to mind that you worked on and what made them memorable? Oh, um, I have so many favorites. This is a good question. Um, I'll say Daniel Jose Alder's Shadow Shaper, which was a yes. sleeper when I worked at Scholastic. <laughs> and I, at the time, had really big curly hair. I since have cut it short. But it just stood out to me. I was like, wow, look at this beautiful woman on this cover with beautiful, big, bold hair. Um, So that was like the first thing I saw. And I'm like, I want to work on that book, please. Um, And then just reading it and all the publicity that, you know, that we got for that book and the the events, like everyone just loved it. It it, it was a huge sleeper in-house because, again, it wasn't a lead title or anything like that. But it was really like, this is a good book. Like, you should read it. You know, it it started in-house that way. And then it just exploded. Um, And then, you know, Daniel Jose Alder is also a huge promoter of his stuff online. Mm. And he's a really great speaker. And he talks about race a lot, too. He says a lot of interesting things. And um, another project that I recently worked on won the Caldecott. Yes, congratulations. (laughs) Yeah, working with Javaka Stepto was amazing. The the story of young artist Jean-Michel Basquiat was a beautiful book to work on. And that also like was a sleeper, you know, zero publicity budget there. So definitely wasn't going, we weren't going to travel him or anything like that. But our approach was, you know, let's blow you out with local events and go crazy with media. And a lot of people took to the book. And then after one, the Caldecott, he got so many requests, which was amazing. So like he has a lot of things he's doing for the entire year. <laughs> I'll bet. <laughs> so two of those were favorites, but I have so many others. I mean, there are so many books, so many beautiful, beautiful books. Well, I'm going to file those under what you want to recommend to people. I think everyone should read Shadow Shaper and Radiant Child. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so finally, every episode, I talk about what I'm obsessed with this week, and I ask you to do the same. It does not have to be bookish, but it can be. Yeah. Mine this week is dumb, What's but yours? it was mind-blowing for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I went to this weekend, I was at the Midwest Writers Workshop in Indiana. Oh, nice. Shout out to Indiana. Woo! Hoosiers? I don't know. <laughs> And I ate at Steak and Shake, which is like, I've heard Midwesterners talk about this, but I didn't know. 
and I had a banana chocolate shake. That's and it was perfect. Delicious. It's amazing. And now I'm obsessed with trying to recreate it. So I'm going to the store for ingredients immediately after we record this. <laughs> well, good luck. I Thank hope you. that it comes out just as great as it was. Well, there will be many experiments, I suspect. <laughs> uh, Sericia, what are you obsessed with this week? Oh, my gosh. So there are um, two things I'm actually obsessed with. So um, the America Chavez comic been reading that over and over again um it's by gabby rivera i need to like catch up on um the third installment i've been so bad about going to the comic store but it's fantastic Mm. it's such an easy read and i mean like marvel and dc are blowing up right now so that that'll be very fun and apt to jump into is it in trade yet or only in comics um it's it's only in comics the book i believe will be coming out in october Okay. So definitely I will be picking that up <laughs> because clearly I'm late on the third installment. Mm. Um, and then the other thing, um, Insecure just came back. It's um, on HBO. Yeah. And uh, I loved it so much. If, if you I, haven't seen it, you should watch it. It's so good. I love the first season, but I'm excited that it's back. Yes, me too. But those are yes. the two things I'm obsessed with. <laughs> cool. I will put links to both of them in the um, show notes. Awesome. So, Sericia, thank you so much for spending time with me. I think we got a lot of great answers. Yeah, and has been um, fantastic. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. Have a wonderful week. You too. Bye. Bye. So that's our show. Thank you so much to Sericia Fennell for joining me. Sericia could be found on Twitter at SJ underscore Fennell. I will link to that and to POC and Pub, as well as the podcast she co-hosts, in the show notes. My Twitter is at LiteratiCat. Also, we have a Patreon to cover the cost of the podcast. It's up at patreon.com slash LiteratiCast. Throw in a dollar and you'll have the chance to win books and sneak previews of future guests. Thanks to Matt for making this sound better than it really does. And thanks to all you listeners in podcast land. I'll see you next time.